So this is my question for you tonight. A comet is hurtling down towards us. What's the first thing you're reaching for to put in your car? Don't say your kids, because we know you're going to say that. And those of you who weren't going to say your kids, just pretend that you were. And we won't tell. So what else? Besides your kids, you're going to get what to put in your car? Diaper bag. Who said, oh yeah, NASA. I hear Nathaniel Miller's voice out there. Telescope. <laughs> you were probably the one that told us the comet is coming. We got a text from Nathaniel Miller. Run! Somebody else. Did I see hands back here? Alan. Non-perishable foods. Yeah, medications. Yeah, that's good. Somebody else. Your guitar. There you go. You're taking your dog. Sorry, Warren. <laughs> Somebody else, what are you reaching for? What's one of the first things you're going to grab? Hannah? All your important paperwork. There you go. Yeah. Somebody else. What's somebody else? Photo op. Right. Photo op. I'm surprised that wouldn't come up soon. Like wedding photos, photo ops. All of that's in your Google photo, right? So somebody's like, I got that all digitized. Coffee? Sweet. What kind of coffee? Starbucks. There you go. Just go ahead and say it. Somebody else. What are you grabbing? Anybody grabbing something? How about some youth over here? A PS4 or something? I don't know. Maybe? No? There's not going to be an electricity, so it doesn't matter. You're grabbing some Justin Timberlake? No. No? Okay. Just making sure. Anybody else? Somebody else. What are you grabbing? Kim. Yeah, phone and phone charger. There you go. I'm showing, I'm showing you that tonight because as a church, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves reaching for so many things that we don't reach for the most important things. Right? That, that, that metaphor of that car is a, is, a, is a powerful metaphor for life, but it's also a powerful metaphor for us as a congregation. As we're moving into 2018 and beyond, we've been asking this question, God, what are the things that you want us to reach for first to make sure they're part of this church? Father, as we, as we dig into this message and as we move forward into 2018, even especially this month of February, as we're talking about missions and what we do overseas and faith promise and missions trips, God, I, I pray that, that you would find us faithful, that we're reaching for the things that you want to see in our hands, that you want to be a part of this church. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Hey, before I move forward, a couple of quick things. One is, you know, uh, Pastor Justin was up there in the video announcements, and we had over 20 sponsorships that we wanted to get rid of between two campuses, and all of them were taken but two. How great is that? Come on. All but two. So... So this young man is the last one that's here in Newport News, so I'm expecting one of you to take this home with you. Come on. And then there's a part of that that I need to keep, so if you come up and get this, make sure you see me after the service. And then if you were here last week, you know that we had Pastor Paul Johansson, amazing message that he shared. The podcast is up. The video of that sermon is up. It's about 20 minutes in where he's really just laying some foundation, and then that last 20 minutes, he was just unpacking revelation that was just phenomenal. So he's a prolific writer. He's done Bible commentary. So here are four books, uh, uh, free, free by divine decree by Paul Johansson. So those four are here for you now, first come, first serve. So that's up to you if you want to come get one. So we, we applaud courage here at City Life. There's two more. There's two more. All right, one. There you go. Well done, people. Well done. Nice. Come on. 
Empty altar, empty altar, which is not usually what you're praying for, but <laughs> it's tonight. <laughs> Over these last couple of months, I've been praying a, a prayer that's really found in Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Let me share these verses with you. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is a powerful prayer to pray for ourselves. It's also a powerful pray, uh, prayer for us to pray as leaders of this church, that, that we want to come before God all throughout the journey that he's given to us here with City Life and say, search me, God. Sir, what are the things that are a part of City Life that maybe aren't supposed to be a part? Maybe things that are a distraction, and maybe what are some things that are missing that need to come to the forefront of who we are. We, we want to have a sense of standing with God at the back of that vehicle and saying to him, what do you want to be in here? And I'm excited tonight for this welcome weekend that I'm going to be sharing three things with you. They're not necessarily new to us as a church, but they're going to find a new focus here in this year and in the years to come. Welcome weekends are what we do, as Pastor David was talking a little bit about them. They're, they're designed not just for new people to learn a little bit more about who we are, but they're also designed for people who have been here, for you to get excited again about our vision and what are some things that God has called us to. And then I'm going to be talking at the end of this message, what Discover City Life, that's going to be retooled for next Saturday night. So we're excited to what that's going to look like. So somebody say encountering. Encountering God's presence, encountering God's presence is one of the things that we know is supposed to be central to who we are here at the City Life Church. I remember back in the summer and fall of 1990, that was kind of the season of my life where God was calling me back to himself. I had grown up in a Christian home and I had kind of abandoned all of that and was out doing my own thing. And it was that year, that summer, that fall, where God really began to tug at my heart about me coming back to faith. And, and some of you have heard this story before, but one of the things that I began to do is, as, as I made a real list, not, not just in my head, but I, I sat down with a piece of paper and a pen, and I began to write down all the things that I knew that God was going to ask me to change. That there were things in my life that I knew shouldn't be there. There were things in, in my life that I knew that were inconsistent with faith in Christ and being a devoted follower of Christ. And as I, I, I made that list, I, I started crossing off the things that I thought that I could do without. And after I went through that process, I ended up with some things on that list where I said to God, God, I don't know if I can live without these things. I know you're going to ask me to lay them down. I know these are changes that you're going to want to, to, to make in my life. I've been around you enough. I've been around church enough to have some sense of right and wrong, even though I haven't lived it. I know these things are wrong and, and, and don't belong in my life, but they've been a part of my life for so long, it's hard for me to envision my life without them. They were things that I deeply valued and things that were intertwined with my identity. One of the things that I was doing while I was making that list over those months is I, I began to read in the Gospel of John. One of the things that I felt like God spoke to me was, Fred, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then, then what's it going to hurt for you to at least take the time to read what he had to say? It was the first time in my life that I ever picked up the Bible, not because someone told me to, but because I wanted to. And I started reading in the Gospel of John, and I got to the 10th chapter and the 10th verse. And many of you are familiar with this. I'm going to read it out of the King James. It says, The thief, thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
I am come, that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I like another translation that renders it life to the fullest possible measure. And when I read that verse, I had a revelation. When I read that verse, I realized that the things that I were clinging to that I thought were so important, were so valuable, they were really pennies compared to the treasures of the promises of God that he wanted to give to me. The, the, the things that I, I, I thought I can't live without, God was saying, no, 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 no. The things that you're missing, those are the things that you can't live without. And as my perspective began to change, it made it easier for me to embrace the reality that I was going to have to let some things go. When I was done with the, the Gospel of John, I began to read in the other Gospels with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I remember coming to this story. It's in Mark 10, verse 17. It says, as Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running and knelt before him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. And then he goes on and lists some of the commandments. And he says, Teacher, in verse 20, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing that you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell your possessions. Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad for he had many possessions. Now listen to what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again to children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom. Uh, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible but not with God. Everything is possible with him. This story of the rich young ruler that many of us are familiar with, all the attention is, is, is on the exchange of go and sell, and he goes away. But, but really the power of the story comes here in verse 27 where Jesus is humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with him. Me meaning that all of us come to God for the first time just like this young man did. Not because we're all wealthy with material things, but because we come to him valuing things that are important to us and we can't imagine our life without them. For, it's a fill in the blank. For him, it was material wealth. For all of us, it's something else. And all of us come that way. Hard for us to imagine life without whatever it is on your list. And if it's just going to be based on your ability to lay it down, you'll never do it. But God says, when you have an encounter with me, when you experience my presence, when I reveal my glory to you, you're going to see those things for what they are. They're pennies compared to the riches of the promises that he longs to give to us. Acts 26, Acts 26, 9 through 12. This is the Apostle Paul speaking of his own life. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I, just, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when 
They were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Verse 12, the first part of that verse reads, And then one day I was on such a mission to Damascus. Here we have Saul of Tarsus, who eventually becomes, right, the Apostle Paul, who God chooses to give us most of the New Testament. But there was a time in his life where he valued, actually, the destruction of Christianity. If you had engaged Saul in a conversation about what was important to him, he would have said, the most important thing to me is to make sure that this upstart religion never goes anywhere, and I'm willing to kill anyone to make it happen. And then all of a sudden, he's on this journey. And the supernatural presence of God Christ himself comes to him. And now everything that Paul used to value, it changes. He puts all of that down and he picks something up new. All because he had an encounter with the living God. I share this thought with you. The only thing that has the power to shift our perception of value is an encounter with God's presence. The only thing that has the power to shift our perception of value is an encounter with God's presence. Acts 1, verses 3 through 5, then I'm going to jump down to verse 8. During the 40 days after he suffered and died. So Jesus has now died. He's been raised to the dead. He's ascended into heaven. It says he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about about me everywhere in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These were the people that God had handpicked to be used by him to give birth to Christianity, a new religion that was going to change the world forever. These were the people that he picked to build something that Jesus had called the church that was going to be the instrument and the vehicle that that we would use to bring Christianity to the world. These are the people that, that he chose. And what's the first thing that he tells them to do? He tells them to wait. He says, you need to have an encounter with me Because if you're going to build this stuff for me, I want to make sure you're reaching for the right things. If they had just gone out from that place, from the Great Commission, and just started to, on their own, try to give birth to Christianity and give birth to the church, I'm telling you, it wouldn't have made it because they would have been reaching for things that God didn't intend to be a part of it. And it was an encounter with his presence, a supernatural encounter that made them ready. To reach for the right things. When I alter, that's A-L-T-A-R, when I alter my position, God transforms my condition. When I alter my position, God transforms my condition. City life is a place where we are intentionally positional. We are intentionally positional, spiritually posturing ourselves in settings to encounter his presence. Number two, somebody say embracing. Embracing 
Embracing God's family. So I'm on this journey, right? I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm new to being a devoted follower of Christ. I'm in my early 20s. I'm out of college and my, my career is getting started. I'm out on my own. I'm attending a great church. It's a church that I was familiar with because my family went there. And so I started volunteering with the youth group and doing what many of you do when you come to a church, just finding ways to get involved. And so the church was, like many churches do, were, they, they were picking a reading plan to read through the Bible in, the, in, in a year. And, and so we had picked a plan, and I'm, I'm reading through the Bible, and then all of a sudden, the fear that I had of the things that I had to stop doing, I didn't have that fear anymore. Because once I had laid them down and picked up the promises of God, I, I realized God was just protecting me from mediocrity, and the fullness of the promises of God were taking the place of any lack of fulfillment I thought would come. But I picked up a new fear. See, there's the fear of the things that he's going to ask me to stop doing, but so oftentimes that gets replaced by the fear of the things that he might ask you to start doing. Right? So I'm reading through the Bible, right? I come to Isaiah 20, 2 through 3. The Lord told Isaiah, the son of Amos, take off the burlap you have been wearing and remove your sandals. Isaiah did as he was told and walked around naked and barefoot. Yeah. Now, most scholars don't believe that he was completely naked. They believed he still had his underwear on. Verse 3. This is in the Bible. It's in your Bible, too, not just the Bible I'm working out of. Verse 3. Then the Lord said, my servant Isaiah. So some time has passed, and God is giving commentary on Isaiah's obedience. So listen to what it says. My servant Isaiah has been walking around naked and barefoot for three years. And this is a sign, a symbol of the terrible troubles that I will bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. So God says, Isaiah, you're going to be a living prophetic picture for me. Take off your clothes. Right? So I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, sweet Jesus, what have I gotten myself into? Right? Right? Have you ever read some things in the Bible and you thought to yourself, God, if you ask me to do that, I'm out. I, I can't. Right? So all of a sudden, all these fears begin to well up inside of you. What if God were to ask me to do something weird? God, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be weird. I know weird people. I don't want to be one of them. <laughs> Tell me about that church that you're going to. Oh, it's great. I mean, the pastor, he preaches in his underwear, but, you know, you get past it. They're like boxers or briefs. I need to know, right? <laughs> Who does that? Yeah. And so I'm reading, right? So it's, it's just, it's, it's amplifying every fear that I have that God's going to ask me to do weird stuff. I get to the book of Ezekiel. Oh, it gets better. Chapter 4, 12 and 15. Prepare and eat this food as you would barley cakes while the people are watching. Bake it over a fire. Here it comes. Using dried human dung as fuel. Dung's a fancy word for poop. Right. Use it as fuel to cook and then eat the bread. Now between verses 12 and 15, Ezekiel is successful at protesting with God, he says, I can't do it. I just, I can't do it. So God negotiates with him and listens to the agreement they come to. All right, the Lord said, all right, all right. You may bake your bread over cow poop instead. Right? How is that a win? Right? So how's that church you're going to? So the pastor preaches in his underwear? Yeah, I know, it's a little odd. And, and I would also have to say at the potlucks, the covered dish dinners, the food tastes a little, it tastes a little barnyardy. I can't quite figure it out. There is some crazy stuff in the Bible that God asks people to do. I'm, I'm a new follower of Christ, and I'm afraid. 
What if God asks me to do something that's just strange? Would I do it? Would I trust him? He knows the vulnerabilities of our humanity, and he knows that we are afraid, and he has a plan. He has a plan. Acts 2, 42 to 47, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals, not cooked over poop, including the Lord's Supper and, and to prayer. Listen to verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and their possessions, and they shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple. Every day they went to church. We're just saying once a week. They were going every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared in their meals with great joy and generosity, right? We're getting this image of, of, of this community of, of people that were coming together, not reluctantly, but cheerfully, excited about this community called Christianity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When a church is intentionally positional, it will become lovingly relational. In Acts 1, we see that they waited. They waited for this encounter. They waited for the presence of God. And, and what we see that comes out of that is a community of faith. That when you are intentionally positional, you will become lovingly relational. That's what we see from Acts 1 to Acts 2. It's not just history, it's teaching. In the story of the narrative, God's presence always leads us into community with one another. We begin to learn about God's heart from others who have been in his presence. Back in 1991, my fears dissipated because I was in a local church with people who had spent years encountering God's presence. People who had spent years embracing God's family and now they were embracing me. And they began to teach me that God always has my best interest at heart. They began to teach me that He's a perfect father and that I could trust him. Listen to this. And that every yes and every no were always for my good. Every yes and every no were always for my good. It's one of the reasons why the goodness of God is a central part of the message of here at City Life. It's why Psalm 2713 is a, is a cornerstone verse for us. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living is that we know many of you are coming here and you're new to your faith, or maybe you're not new to your faith, but you're returning to your faith like me and you've got your own fears. Maybe you're dealing with the fears of the things that you've got to put down, or maybe you're like me and in your journey you're beginning to deal with the things that you've got to pick up. Whether it's putting down or picking up, we want you to know that you can trust God. He's in it for your dignity too. He doesn't want to rob you of your dignity. He knows if you're Isaiah or if you're Ezekiel and you can do some things like that. And if you're not, guess what? He's not going to ask you to do it. He's a perfect, loving father. His yes and his no is always with my best interest at heart. City life is a place where we are lovingly relational. Practically sharing time and space 
with the other people who call City Life Church their home so we can embrace his family. It's why we do things like life groups. It's why we, we, we so encourage people to get involved in ministry because oftentimes in ministry, those are the places that you begin to build relationships. Those aren't the only reasons we do it, but those are core to it. You need to be around people who have been in God's presence. You need to be around people who are embracing his family. You need to be around people so that you can get a greater revelation of the goodness of your God. Somebody say engaging. Engaging God's mission. So we've got encountering God's presence. We've got embracing God's family. And now let me talk to you just for a couple of minutes about engaging God's mission. Encountering, embracing, and engaging. So now I have a new fear that I carry. It's no longer really the fear of the putting down. It's not really any longer the the fear of picking up. It's a new fear. But it's not a fear that's being afraid. The Bible calls it the fear of the Lord. And it's the kind of fear that everyone needs to carry. In fact, when this fear displaces the other fears, we're well on our way. Listen to this in Psalm 112.1. I love this verse. It says, praise the Lord. Praise him. How joyful are those, what, who fear the Lord. And, and then it kind of amplifies and explains what it really means to fear him. Now, I know the book of Proverbs has some parts of the definition too, and those are an important part of the fear of the Lord. But those tend to overshadow this one, and it can't be because this is so important for us to understand. For those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands delight in obeying his commands. I want to carry that fear with me for the rest of my life so that when God asks me to put something down, when he asks me to pick something up, I'm not afraid of what my life is going to be like. I'm afraid of what it would be if I didn't. And then I want to be a person who delights in everything that God asks of me. I love Psalm 32.9. It's this verse that talks about this idea that if you were a horse or a, or a mule, the, the psalmist writes that, that our heart towards God is supposed to be like a beast of burden who does not need a bit or a bridle. How many of you have ever ridden a horse before? I rode horses growing up. Anybody else ride horses before? How many of you rode your horse without a bit and a bridle? Yeah, not me, Right? Because if you get up on to that beast and there's no bit in their mouth and there's no bridle in your hand, you're at the mercy of that animal. They're going to go wherever they want. And even with the bit and with the bridle, if you don't know what you're doing, you're at the mercy of that animal. And I love how the psalmist uses this imagery for us because he's saying, in your relationship with God, does God need a bit in your mouth and a bridle in his hand to get you to do what you're supposed to do? to get you to go to where you're supposed to go, to turn in the direction that you're supposed to turn, to put down the things you're supposed to put down and pick up the things that you're supposed to pick up. The psalmist says, no, no, no. Our heart is supposed to be like someone that so delights in the Lord's commands that we can't wait to receive them so we can walk in obedience to what he says. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 So this is Paul, right? He's Saul, now he's Paul, he's planted churches, he's written all of these epistles, he doesn't even know, right? He's he's just writing letters. I don't think he has a sense that that, that scripture is is, is gonna be stretched to include much of what he's writing. He's just being faithful to what God's asking him to do. 
And here we have a, a letter that he's writing to his young protege, Timothy. And he says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have, listen to what, here it comes. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward towards his appearing. That's you and me. Paul's saying that his hope is that one day all of us will be able to say something like this about our lives. See, if you live a Psalm 112, 11 life, that, that you're going to end up with a 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 finish. Without a bit, without a bridle, the fear of the Lord, delighting and obeying in his commands that we'll be able to look back when we're at the end and say, I fought a good fight, I finished the race. I have remained faithful. I want to be able to say that about my life. I want you to be able to say that about your life. So we look at Acts 1 and we see they waited. We look into Acts 2 and we see they welcomed. And now we come to Acts 3. <clears throat> The first verse. Listen to how it reads. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. The first four words of Acts chapter three is that Peter and John, they went. They went. Because when a church is intentionally positional, it will become lovingly relational. And when a church is lovingly relational, it will become effectually missional. Listen to these thoughts. There is a vast difference between being busy and being active. We don't want to be busy as a church. We want to be active as a church. Busyness is a coping mechanism to create a feeling of self-importance when our lives lack a meaningful purpose. But activity is focused work in pursuit of fulfilling a God-ordained mission. We want this church to be a place of activity, a place of activity that's focused on the work that God has put into our hands as we pursue a God-ordained mission that he's called us to. City life is a place where we are effectually missional. We're intentionally positional, lovingly relational, and we're effectually missional. Picking up the work that God has put into our hands in this world, proclaiming the gospel, growing disciples, and building his church so we can actively engage his mission. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and we're going to spend some time in a place of worship just as we kind of consecrate these things that God is calling us to. But as they do, I want to talk a little bit about next week. And, and for us as a church, one of the things that, that always follows a welcome weekend is, is the Saturday that comes after is called Discover City Life. And over the last several years, Discover City Life has always been what we offer to people who are new to the church. Many of you are new to the church. And, and so after a welcome weekend, when we talk a little bit about who we are, the following Saturday when you come, you have an opportunity to go to a session that Vanessa teaches that just gets a little bit deeper into who we are. You get a packet that, that, that may, might, might answer some of your questions. You get to answer some, ask some questions. We have leaders that are in there so that you can begin to get to know them and you can begin to get to know one another. And then what's typically happened on those welcome and weekends is that is that everybody else stays in here and then we continue on with a message just like we did tonight but next week and going forward for this year we're going to do something different 
Discover City Life after our welcome weekend, everybody's going to go to one of three sessions. Everybody's going to go to one of three sessions. If you're new here, you're going to go to the, in session, the session that we now call Embracing God's Family. If you've been here, if you've been here, then you're going to stay in here for a message that Pastor David is going to teach on encountering God's presence. Now, if you've not fallen into the category of been here, or fallen into the category of new here, then you're in between. You're going to come with me, and I'm going to talk with you more about engaging God's mission. Things that we're actively pursuing here at City Life. What discipleship looks like for us. If you're, if you're wondering, right, it's easy to know if you're new here. Sometimes it's hard to know if you've been here. Let me help you figure that out. You've been here as if when you look around this room, you know most of the people here, and most of the people here know you. That's what it means to have been here. When you look around the room on a Saturday night, do you leave here saying, I know most of the people there, and most of the people there know me? If you can't say that, right, then you, then you come with me. If you're not new, if you're not new here and you've not been here, then you're going to come with me, and we're going to talk more about engaging God's mission. And this is a way that everybody's going to go to something next Saturday. Each one's going to be in a different place. I think there's a schematic up on the screen next week. So we'll gather here for worship. We'll, we'll gather here for video announcements and the greet time. But when we get ready to start the message portion, which is usually around quarter to six, that there's going to be an opportunity. I'll get up. I'll explain it again. All of us will get up, and we're all going to go to a place. Stand with me. Father, we know that that everybody here, they're in a different place in their journey. And we know that some people, God, they're, they're, they're here and they've been, they've been here for the last few weeks because they're trying to ask the question, is this the church that I'm supposed to call home? And we know that you've you set aside weekends like this and the weekend that's to come to help them figure that out. But we also know that there are some other people that are here every Saturday and they're not asking the question about a church to call home. They're asking the question about a God that they're supposed to call Father, about His Son Jesus that they're supposed to call Savior. And they're like me in that summer and fall of 1990 where I was trying to figure out if I was really ready to take the step of becoming a devoted follower of Christ. For that person that's here tonight, Father, I pray that you would speak to their heart. I pray that they would find the courage to take whatever step that you're asking them to. I pray, Father, that that they would have an ear to hear your voice and they would have a heart to trust, to follow. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Let's worship together.